The title of our message today is The First Believer, or How Can I Know For Sure That I'm Saved? Now, the YouTube title, the, the false believer that we have in this passage is Simon the Warlock, and that's what I have in the YouTube channel, Simon the Warlock, How Can I Know I'm Saved? That's the title there. Now, I, now I use the word warlock because no translation uses the word warlock. All right. But this is a nod to Pastor Chuck, who started Calvary Chapel in 1960, whatever, 68 or whatever it was. So when Pastor Chuck would teach on Simon, for whatever reason, he would say, now Simon the warlock. And so that this is just kind of a nod to him saying thank you. And we remember you and we're blessed by by you. And we're going to be talking about Simon, the sorcerer today, who looks like he gets saved. But we find out that he's not really saved. He is the first false believer that we find here. And Jesus said there will be false believers. He said that in a lot of different ways. He said in Matthew 7, 22 and 23, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done wonders in your name? These are religious people. They're casting out demons. They're giving prophecies. And he will say to them, uh, then he will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus said in another place, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So we want to make sure that we have that right relationship. He also told the parable of the wheat and the tares. A man sowed a field with wheat and his enemy came along and sowed tares in there. And, and don't take the tares out now because you're going to tear out some of the wheat. So this is talking about genuine Christians and, and, and false Christians that enter into the church. And he's saying, we're not supposed to judge that now. I'm not supposed to look around this room, try to figure out which one of you is not a true believer. I'm going to get this figured out if I stare long enough at you. We're not supposed to do that because we're going to end up judging some genuine Christians wrongly. But he says, wait till the end of the age and then gather together the tares into bundles and burn them and put the wheat in my barn. So that's what we're doing. We're evaluating. We want to evaluate today what the Bible says a genuine Christian is. I have people who will ask me, I, I do a Q&A on Wednesdays and Saturdays on YouTube and on Facebook. And we will have people that will ask, how do I know I'm, I'm really saved? That's one of the common questions we get. How do I know I'm, I'm really saved? I'm struggling. I'm having some doubts. Am I really saved? I'm struggling. I got a stronghold in my life. I seem to return to this sin. I'm trying to get rid of it, but I seem to return to it. Am I genuinely saved? And, and yes, you, you, you are. Just because you struggle doesn't mean you're not a Christian. Because if everybody in the Bible who struggled wasn't a genuine believer, you wouldn't have anybody left. Except maybe for Daniel, Joseph, and... Um, uh, Daniel, Joseph, and... Samuel, thank you. I knew, I knew I'd have it right there. So uh, they didn't seem to struggle, but the rest of them did. And so struggling, I think God allows us to struggle because struggle makes us stronger. It's like when you worked out and you tear down the muscle and now you're lifting more because you tear it down and God allows us to struggle because that struggle builds character. And if you're doubting, then you dive in to find out what the truth is and now you own the answers to the doubts that you had. Rather than allowing the doubts to push you away from God, you go, what are the real answers to this? Is there a genuine answer to this? And now you dive in. So if you are struggling, that doesn't mean you're not a Christian. If, if, if you sin, it doesn't mean you're not a Christian. Although we're going to talk about practicing sin in a minute, there is a way in which you can be living your life and sin that could be a demonstration that you are not genuinely saved. Now, the Samaritans are a different people group. That's where we're at. Uh, they are not Jewish. And Philip, one of the church leaders, uh, early church leaders, 
because of the persecution of Saul before he becomes a Christian, has pushed them out into Judea. And the gospel has gone from Jerusalem to Judea and to the Samaritans by Philip. When Philip gets there, he preaches. And there's an influential man who is a sorcerer. This is the Greek word for magi. So he does magic. There's two words in the Bible for sorcery. One of them is pharmakeia. The other one is, is a magi. Both of them would use drugs to get people in a different state to try to, you know, kind of take advantage of them. It's kind of like the magi in their day could be genuine men who were looking at the stars and seeking God. And we've got the three magi that came, or the magi that came and worshiped Jesus. Uh, remember, they saw his sign in the sky. But you also have them communicating with spirits and trying to tell your future. It's kind of, and maybe parlor tricks. It's kind of like psychics today. They get you in, they do a few little parlor tricks and then they go, what, is a, what does a blue dress mean? And you go, oh, I have a blue dress. And you know, they're just doing stuff like that. And, and they thought he was someone great. They thought he had power in that area. They thought he was great. And um, in, in reality, he wasn't. So let's look at Acts 8, 29 through 25. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery or who practiced witchcraft in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great. So he was claiming he was someone great by the sorceries that he was involved in, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest. Very influential, saying this man has the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with the sorceries for a long time. But when Philip, when, but when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. So they lo Simon lost his influence when Philip came in doing miracles. He was doing signs and sorceries to impress people. Philip comes in, does signs to point to Christ, and people end up getting saved. Then, verse 13, Simon himself also believed. Now you might say, well, right there he's a true believer because he believes, but there is a demonic belief. There is a belief that does not lead to salvation. In other words, the demons believe in Jesus. The demons believe he is the son of God. The, the demons believe that he died on the cross for sins and they don't believe in him. You could have a demonic faith. You believe in Jesus. You believe in the virgin birth. You believe in the resurrection, but you don't follow him. That is a demonic belief. You believe, but it's not a saving believing. A saving believing is not like, I don't believe in Santa Claus. I don't believe in the Easter Bunny. I don't believe in Jesus. Or I believe in Jesus. I believe in Santa Claus. That's not the same thing. It's, I, I believe in Santa Claus, but I trust in Christ. That's the idea. I believe what he says, and so I'm going to live for him. You've heard what Jesus says, and now you're going to live for him. That's believing in him and giving your life to him. And so Simon wasn't born again. Jesus said, you must be born again. The Bible says that anyone who receives him will, become, will give, give, be given the power to be a child of God. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We believe uh, and, and, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. In other words, you've got to live your Christianity out loud. You can't be this private Christian that no one knows that you've really given your life to Christ. You, you are the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill that can't be hidden. So you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Now, some people say, well, I have such a hard time believing the resurrection. Listen, 
The fact that Jesus was a real person is one of the most solid known things in history because of the influence of his life. That he was crucified under Pontius Pilate was spoke of, spoken of by f at least five different historians who were not Christians from his day that were, that were in the first century. And they spoke of Jesus being crucified under Pontius Pilate. The fact that he was buried by Joseph of Arimathea and that the tomb was empty is a, is a historical fact. We know that it's true. And the, the whole arguments that people use, well, they went to the wrong tomb. Well, if the women went to the wrong tomb, then so did the religious leaders, so did Joseph of Arimathea, so did Pilate, and the men, the, the soldiers, they all went to the wrong tomb. And if they came up with the story, the enemies of Christ came up with a story that the disciples had, had stolen the body. And if they could produce the body because it was the wrong tomb, why did they have to come up with that story? They would just roll out the body of Christ and say, you said this guy's risen from the dead? But it was an empty tomb. Now you add to that. Now, those, now most historians and scholars will agree on those four points, that they are historical. That he existed, crucified under Pontius Pilate, that he was buried, and that the tomb was empty. Now, can God raise someone from the dead? He created the world. Can he raise someone from the dead? And could he do it as the marker of the, most, of the greatest work that was ever done, dying on the cross for the sins of mankind, shedding his blood for you and me, and then having him come out of the grave so we're serving a living Christ instead of a dead Christ? Couldn't God do that? There's a lot of evidence for the actual resurrection of Christ that can be very powerful. And we believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead. Now, Simon believed, but he didn't believe like that. We know that in a few minutes. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed. We're going to have another guy in the next chapter who's baptized, but he's a genuine believer. Here, he's baptized, and he's not a genuine believer. So getting baptized, going to church, doing spiritual things does not make you a Christian. That's not the way you can prove that you have a relationship with Christ to yourself, which is the most important thing. And so it says, um, then Simon himself believed and when he was baptized, continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which he had done. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for as yet he'd fallen upon none of them. They had empowered none of them. We talked about this last week. If you're interested in that, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, the term baptism of the Spirit is nowhere in the Bible, but here it's referred to. The Holy Spirit had not fallen upon any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. So there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think it's inferred to here. So I don't get upset when someone says baptism of the Spirit. I hear some pastors say, that's an unbiblical term. I don't use it. Okay, that's fine. But it says here they'd only been baptized in the name of Jesus, referring to the, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So then it goes on in verse 20, um, or verse, where am I at? W way back here, right? Verse 18, 16, all right, 16. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of hands of the apostles, that the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money saying, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay my hands will receive the Holy Spirit or may receive the Holy Spirit. Simon doesn't have a genuine relationship with God. 
He, doesn't, he isn't going, look, as a Christian, how can I lay hands on people to have them receive the Spirit? He's saying, I'll give you money. I want to purchase this because he wants to be seen as spiritual, as a genuine Christian, but he's not. This is one of the problems, and Jesus spoke about this early on in Matthew. Don't put on pretenses and a show for people. Don't act religious and spiritual just as a show. I just really love the Lord. I want you to know how spiritual I am. And I talk spiritual. I walk spiritual. I run into pulpits just offhand everywhere I go. I turn around and there they are. You know, um, a few years ago, we had a guy here at the church and he was every, he talked in a super spiritual voice. Everything was incredibly empathetic with him. And he was always just kind of talking like this all the time. And, and he was involved in some, some ministry here. And my late wife, Lisa, said to me one day, something's up with that guy. <laughs> now, I think she had the gift of discernment, but I didn't like it because I was like, you can't judge him. Just because he talks like this all the time doesn't mean you can judge him, right? People talk different ways. And I told her that. I said, I, I, I don't, you can't judge him. She goes, I'm just telling you something's up with that guy. And she was right. A little while later on, there's this whole thing exposed that it was all pretend. It wasn't genuine. It wasn't real. Don't do that. Don't put on a show to show people you're spiritual. Just be real. Just genuinely live Christ out loud instead of trying to put on a show. I have a problem with people praying for their meals in public for a long time. Like you, you, get, you go, well, let's all hold hands and we're now going to pray. And you pray for like three minutes in the middle of a restaurant. People around are looking at you. Hey, look at that. Those guys are Christians. The waiter's got the salt and pepper. Right? Everybody at our table's looking at their food. <laughs> and you're praying, I don't know, for Russia, and you're going on and on and praying. <laughs> Jesus said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to stand on a corner and pray to be seen. So you should pray for your meals, but you should be quick. Lord, bless this food and, and help people who don't have any. And thank you for what you're doing. Amen. Let the waiter do one of these and then come in. There you go. I have a problem with the football player kneeling and praying in, uh, after a football game because it's showy. I'm like, what's that about? When Jesus said, don't do that. When you pray, go in your prayer closet and your father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. And you say, well, he's showing that he's standing for Christ. There's many ways you can do that. You can be in an interview and you can say, I just want to thank Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and Savior. I mean, you can do that. That's fantastic. Just don't do it like this. I want to thank Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Just be real. Just be who you are. Simon didn't do that. He wanted to put on a show. He wanted to pay money to be able to put on a show for people to think that he was something special. We want to avoid that. Oftentimes, when you run into somebody, and I call it Jesus glitter, they're throwing Jesus glitter all over everything. They're always quoting scriptures and how much I love the Lord and you need to do this. And, 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 and they're just throwing Jesus glitter everywhere. Oftentimes, it's a game. I'm not, again, I'm not judging them. I'm, if someone's, you know, if you're a Jesus glitter thrower and you maybe love Jesus, that could be the case. I'm not going to say that a lot of Jesus glitter, just like real glitter bothers me. A lot of Jesus glitter bothers me because sometimes it comes off as showy. It comes off as if, uh, you know, I'm just always talking about spiritual things when we're not supposed to do that. There's something inside of us that wants people to think that we're more spiritual than we are. Instead of just admitting, you know what? I love Christ. I love him. I love that I've been able to walk in the spirit, but sometimes I blow it. 
Sometimes I have sin in my life. And, and, and we fall into sin. I, I hear preachers say, no one falls into sin, you make a decision to sin. No, we fall into sin. Why? Because sometimes we don't even know we do it until later on. We have a great gossip conversation with someone. And you're driving away going, oh, I hope they don't tell that person I said all those things about them. <laughs> and then it dawns on you that it's gossip and you're like, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. The Holy Spirit convicts you. What should you do? Call the person you gossip to and tell them, I'm sorry I gossiped about them to you. I made them look bad and I'm sorry about that. Don't necessarily call the person you gossiped about. Let, <laughs> let them live in ignorance and bliss, okay, and not know the horrible gossip you are and that you gossiped about them. But the person that you gossip to, if every time, if you make a commitment, every time I gossip, I'm going to call the person that I gossip to and I'm going to apologize for doing it then pretty soon you're going to, before you, you gossip. And that's really hard because someone says to you, I got something to tell you, but, uh, but I can't tell you. You're like, what, what, what? <laughs> you could tell me, what is it? I'm not supposed to know? Well, now I really want to know. Tell me what it is. So he's got this pretending thing going on. He wants to buy it with money. And so after offering money, saying, give me this power, uh, Peter responds. This is in verse 20. But Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. That's the Holy Spirit. You thought you could buy the Holy Spirit with money? He goes on to say, you thought that this could be um, purchased. You have neither part nor portion in this matter. You're not genuine Christian for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of your wickedness. He's not saying he can't be saved. He's saying you're not a real believer. You look like it, but you're not but you can repent of your wickedness and pray that God, perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness. He was someone great before Philip came along. Then all the people started following Philip. He's poisoned with bitterness and are bound in iniquity, which is not going to happen to a genuine Christian. We're going to talk about that here in a moment. He's bound in iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, pray for me that none of the things which you have spoken would come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Now, let's talk about a biblical evaluation. And I'm not talking about me evaluating you. And I'm not talking about you evaluating the person next to you. In fact, elbow throwing for the rest of the service is outlawed. <laughs> you can't do it. You can't be like, I'm, I'm giving you a point as to whether or not you're a genuine Christian. You can't do none of that. That, that can't go on. It's got to be you. The Bible says, judge yourself and you will not have to be judged. I can't tell really what's going on inside of your heart. And so when I'm bringing these things up, you're the only one who can genuinely evaluate it. I'm the only one who can honestly and genuinely evaluate whether or not I am a genuine Christian. I could put, put it on a game. I like to say anybody can pretend anything for six months. And, and that's why when you plan on getting married, don't get married after two months, all right? Anybody can put on an act. Do you, you see any red flags? Oftentimes people will be like, well, you know, I saw some, but when, I, when, when I'm in counseling and the, the husband brings up something about the wife and they're newly married, I'll often say, did you see any of this before you were married? And they'll be like, uh, yeah. Oh, and you ask the wife, did you see any of this before you were married? She's like, yeah, but I thought I could change him with the gal, you know, they're all like, I can, I can work this into this guy. I can make it right. So anybody could pretend for a while, but sooner or later, the truth will come out. Sooner or later, that which is, is hidden 
will be for everyone to see, the Bible says. And so we want to evaluate and know where we really are. Genuine evaluation. So I have four things that will help you to evaluate whether or not your faith is genuine or whether it's a demonic kind of a faith. So number one, that you keep the teachings of Jesus or you keep the words of Jesus. If you say, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to do what God wants me to do. I don't want to live. I don't want to do things Jesus wants. Then you got a problem. Now, I'm not saying you're not a Christian, but I'm saying we've got an evaluation issue here. I was eating at Chipotle one day by myself, eating that big giant burrito that they'd given me. And um, I'm sitting at a table and this gal from the church just comes up and sits down at the table with me. Now, I, I don't have meals with women alone. I don't do that. It's just something I don't do. So she comes in, she sits down and I'm like, hi. Now, she was having an affair. Her husband had been involved in the church. She was having an affair. The, the man she was having an affair with had a family. So they're both having an affair together. And she says to me, I want you to know that I'm spiritual, even though this is going on. And I was like, I'm not sure you are. Because does a spiritual person devastate their children? Does a spiritual person go on in an affair and continue on? Does a, does a, does a spiritual person justify their affair by saying, it is true love. I know it's right in my heart because it's true love. <laughs> right? It's like, give me a break, you know? It's like true love is faithfulness to your spouse. That's what true love is. True love is, I'm not going to go with this person that I might be attracted with and I've let this emotional thing go on too far. I'm going to go tell my wife I've done this. I'm going to ask her for forgiveness and I'm going to be faithful to her because that's what true love is. So I wonder whether or not she's a genuine Christian. I, I look at it and go, how can you say you're doing that? You're not doing what Jesus wants you to do. You're living in it. You're not willing to turn from it and you're saying you're spiritual. The one thing I know for sure is you're not spiritual. I, I get very close to judging in a situation like that. So Jesus said in John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to them, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. In 1 John 2, and listen to this, by this we know that we are in him. The very last phrase in these, these three verses, by this, we know that we're in him. It brackets this. How, when people struggle, I don't know, am I a real Christian? Well, here's the way you know. This is how you're going to know. You can know whether you are really born again, whether you're really a Christian. By this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Now, that's a double whammy. You're a liar and the truth ain't in you. If you say, I'm a Christian, I just don't do what Jesus said. I don't want to do it. I got my own life. I'm doing my own thing. Don't you judge me, man. All right. But we keep his word. Did you notice that? As you get to the middle there, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, the truth is in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this, we know that we are in him. So you, you keep his commandments. Doesn't mean you keep them all the time. It doesn't say by this, you know that you're in him, that you always keep the commandments of Christ. It doesn't say that. So I keep his commandments, but I don't always keep his commandments because I have sin nature inside of me because I'm just like you. 
I get busy. I get into things and I find myself doing something that I shouldn't do. And I got to go back to him and say, God, I'm sorry. I don't want to do this. I want to struggle against sin. Some people say sin. I don't struggle against sin. I just give in. <laughs> That's what we don't want to do. We want to struggle against it. We want to be saying, Lord, I'm sorry. Listen, there's behavioral issues. You've been doing things your whole life one way. And so you've got this behavioral issue that's going on in your life and you've got to reprogram that behavioral issue. That's not easy to do. Besides that, you've got a sin nature inside of you. And when someone says, I've got something to tell you, but I probably shouldn't. Go ahead. Bring it on, you know? So, and then we've got to lay, say, Lord, I'm sorry. I don't, want to, that's, I don't want to be that person. Help me. And the Bible says, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness if you confess it. So I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about always keeping the commandments of God. I'm just talking about doing it. If you are a genuine believer, you know you're in him if you're keeping the commandments of God. So that's a good question, are you? Are you keeping them? I'm not asking if you're keeping them always because that's going to be a big no for everyone in here. But I'm asking if your life has been molded by the things Jesus said. Are you keeping his commandments? That's how you're going to know. Now, the second evaluation is, are you no longer practicing sin? I'm not asking again if you sin, because the Bible says if anyone says they don't sin, they're a liar. So we all sin, but you ask forgiveness, you repent and you move on. You're struggling against it. You are being renewed by God. There's, there's sanctification taking place in your life. But some people practice sin. It's like Allen Iverson. Do you remember that? We're, we're talking about practice. I'm supposed to be a franchise player and we in here talking about practice. Remember, he was skipping out on practices and the franchise didn't like it. And so he went on a tirade at a, at a press conference about practice. We're talking about practice. We're talking about do you practice righteousness in your life or do you practice lawlessness? What are you doing? Let me read a couple of verses. I got um, a, an illustration for you. Matthew 7, 22 and 23. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? We, we read this before, but I got a different point to make now on it. Cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. They cast out demons, or at least they thought they did. They prophesied, at least they thought they did. But they also practice lawlessness. Away from me, I never knew you, you, you who practice lawlessness. So we can't practice lawlessness. That's when you've got sin harbored up on your dock. That's like the gal who came to me and she's in an affair. She was practicing lawlessness. She was saying one thing and she was doing something else. Ravi Zacharias, uh, who is an apologist, um, a leader in the church, wrote several books really good at what he did, died a few years ago. Tragic, but even more tragic, when he died, it came out that there was some things going on in his life sexually. He had a back problem. He wouldn't spend a lot of time at home. He took girls, young women, on the road with him to give him massages because of his back. And then he would sexually abuse them. When all of that came out, it was like he was living a double life. Now think about what you have to do to do that. You have to plan it. You've got to be able to bring the girls along. You've got to hire the girls to come along. You've got to be able to groom the girls to be able to sexually take advantage of them. You've got to 
get it in order where it looks spiritual from other people. You've got, I, my back hurts. Now, maybe his back did hurt. Maybe he did need massages. But where, almost wherever you go, there are people who can massage your back. But he's probably like, well, these girls, they can massage my back and the way it's supposed to be done. And whatever excuses he made. But he had this sin in his life and he was practicing it. And I will say, I don't know whether he was genuinely saved. Maybe he repented. But I know that that kind of stuff, are you doing that? Are you planning your sin? Are you going out? What, sh what should he have been doing for those girls? As a believer, as, as a city set on a hill that can't be hidden, as the light of the world, what should he have been doing? He should have been sharing Christ with them. If he really needed his back massage by someone that he had to have there, then he should have been sharing Christ with them and been nothing but appropriate with them 100% so that they would come to Christ. But what do you think those girls are going to do later on when someone talks to them about Jesus and they saw that level of hypocrisy and that they were taken advantage of by him? What do you think those girls are going to, what do you think they're going to do? They're certainly probably not going to come to Christ. So he loved himself and sought for his own life and planned for his sin. And that's practicing sin. Some people practice law. Some people practice uh, the medicine. And some people practice sin. But that shouldn't be a Christian. And in fact, Jesus will say, away from me, you practicer of lawlessness. So that's a, a, an evaluation for us. Now, one more passage here. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 talks about practicing sin. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. They are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness. Those are all sexual, by the way. The first four are sexual. Idolatry, sorcery. That's the word pharmakeia. It's the other word in the Bible for sorcery. Hatred, contentions. You're a contentious person. You're argumentative. Jealous. You're a jealous person. Outbursts of wrath. You're an angry person. People got to walk on eggshells around you. Your house is a place where it's, it's all like, man, don't want to get them mad. I, I grew up in a home like that. My dad, my dad, He's a redhead. I don't know whether all redheads have a temper. My dad did. And I find out, is that a thing? Redheads have tempers? And uh, if you're a redhead here, I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> My dad was, okay? Uh, so I can talk about him. No, it's not true. Um, but he did, he did a kind of outburst of wrath. Man, he would fire off. You know, he's looking in a couple drawers. Where's the scissors? Where we scatter. <laughs> Dissensions. That's always being divisive, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries and the like, which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So my question for you as Christian, you're evaluating yourself, no one else. As a question for you is, are you practicing sin or are you struggling against it? Are you maintaining your walk with Christ by handling your sin properly or are you practicing and planning for sin so that you can do it? You wouldn't want that because genuine Christians don't do that. Genuine Christians keep God's word and genuine Christians don't practice sin. Now, genuine Christian, Christians also bear good fruit. I said you can, you, can show, you, can, you can fake anything for six months, but sooner or later it becomes evident because the fruit's there. So you see someone and they are angry and they are hateful and they are selfish and they say, I love the Lord. And you're like, that's not good fruit. I'm not judging you. I'm just a fruit inspector. <laughs> the fruit of a Christian should not be selfishness and anger and meanness. That's not the fruit of a Christian. So here's what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 14 and 15. 
Beware of false prophets. A false prophet is a type of a false believer. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thistles or figs from, uh, or grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The answer to that is no. Even so, every good, every good tree bears good fruit and every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, they will know, uh, therefore by your, their fruits, you will know them. You got a citrus tree in your yard? We moved into a house in 2012 and it was a short sale and the place had been abandoned for a while and we had to nurse a few citrus trees back to health. And the first year they didn't produce anything and we didn't know what they were. And then we walk out in our backyard all one day and I'm like, there's a lemon. It's a lemon tree. And look at the other one. It's an orange tree. I have oranges and lemons because a lemon tree doesn't produce oranges and an orange tree doesn't produce lemons unless you do this weird splicing thing, okay? And I don't know that that should be done anyway. But the tree bears fruit and it proves what it is. So if you have the fruit in your life of things that are ungodly, of, of things that, that are opposite of what Jesus says, that's problematic. Now, John 15, 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. And then we get the fruit of the Spirit. This is what a Christian home should be like. This is what your interaction should be like with people you work with. This is what your interaction should be like with people that bug you. This is what the fruit should be. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience or long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think about what would my life had been like as a child had that been the characteristics of my home. If my home was full of love and joy and was peaceful and, and there was patience being practiced and there was kindness and goodness and faithfulness. And I can say that about my dad. He was faithful. He was a faithful man. He would do what he said. Gentleness, self-control. Against such, there's no law. You know, if you have these attributes, there's no way people aren't going to like you because you're good and you're kind and you're patient and you're peaceful and you're loving. And if you're really in a relationship with Christ, you can't help but grow those fruits. They'll be there. So you've got to look at your fruit. You've got to ask yourself, am I just full of selfishness? Am I just mean? Am I just a mean person? Am I patient with people? Am I joyful? Am I joyful when I'm with some people, but mean when I'm with my family alone in the house? The fourth is, do you live a life of compassion? Jesus told the story of the end of the age when he gathers together the sheep and the goats and he separates them. And he says something to each one of them. And he says to the goats, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and I was in prison and you didn't come and visit me. And they say, when did we see you hungry and thirsty and naked and sick and in prison and do these things for you? He said, when you did it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. So we are to be people who respond. Jesus said, if you give a glass of water in my name, you will by no means lose your reward. There's nothing too small to have compassion on someone. You've heard, you heard the story or the account of the rich man and, the, and Lazarus, the poor man. 
that the rich man lived luxuriously and the poor man sat at his gate hoping to get, uh, yeah, hoping to get the scraps from his table and the dogs came and licked his sores. So this poor man's living in misery, just wanting some food and the rich man's living in luxury and they die and they go to the afterlife. And there's a difference there. But Jesus says something that's interesting because we, we always use that as an example of what the afterlife is going to be like. But that's not the main point of this, this, this story. Abraham says to the rich man, in your life, you had goods. You had stuff. But now you suffer. In, this, in that life, he suffered, but now he has good. So is he trying to say that if we have good stuff here, we're going to suffer in the afterlife? If we, have, if we suffer here, we're going to have good stuff in the afterlife? We know that that's not what the Bible teaches. The overarching account of that story is this. The rich man lived luxuriously, but couldn't even help a man on his front porch. He walked by him and couldn't even help him. Was heartless towards the suffering that was around him. Now, Christians don't do that. Christians see people who are suffering and we respond. Now, I see that. We do practical Christian living foundations. That's the arm of our church that reaches out to help when there's struggles. We're putting together one now for Lahaina in Hawaii. My wife has family that lives there. We've already contacted them, asked how we could help. There's a church there that's a, a church structure and um, they're reaching out and helping people to have food and shelter and the things that they need there. So we're gonna be doing that. Here's what I know about that Practical Christian Living Foundation project because we call them projects. They're, they go on for two weeks and then they're done. You guys are gonna respond big because you always do. We, we've never had a project. We, we built wells for people. We did a home for girls who are sex trafficked. That, and and got raised much more. They needed a couple hundred thousand dollars and we raised more than that to come alongside of them and help them. I see that. You guys are compassionate. That's what Christians do. But are you helping the person on the front doorstep? Are you walking by pain and suffering and not helping? You say, well, I, I, I'm not sure. I, I think they want to be that way. So if they want to be that way, why should I give them anything? I, they could go get a job. I, get, I have a job. They can have a job. I think they drive a nicer car than me. I think they get up and go drive a nicer car than me. Now, maybe they do, but most likely not. There's something going on here. Well, I'm going to give them money and they're going to they're buy alcohol with it. I ain't doing that. I'm going to give them money. I'm, I'm going to buy drugs with it. The way I look at it is if I'm having compassion on them and they use it to buy drugs or alcohol, hey, that's on them. Amen. On me is... is, is Am I going to drive by someone suffering and do nothing? If you don't want to give them money, put, put water in your car. Put some, put some, some uh, uh, bars in your car, some, some you know, food bars in your car. Then you can go up and pull up and say, hey, I don't have any cash, but here you go. Let me give you these and, you know, the Lord bless you. Be compassionate. That we can just go by someone and go, eh, they're, we're getting on the freeway ramp and they're right there. They're looking at us and we're like, <laughs> don't make eye contact. Don't look over there. I just wonder about it. Um, make a budget. $25 a month. Get, get, get five fives, put it in your car. Every payday. And then just give them $5. Say the Lord bless you. Just, and maybe, maybe more. The Lord lays on your heart. Maybe you park the car and walk over and go, what can I do to really help you? Can I, can I get you a meal? 
Can I run over and get you a meal and bring it back to you? Are you, are you where are you staying at? Can I, can I buy you a couple nights? Maybe you can kind of get things back together again. Instead of living in luxury, and, and I'm, I'm not claiming that you're living like the rich young ruler, I mean, excuse me, like the, um, the rich man lived. But really, the truth is, compared to the rest of the world, we live luxuriously. Now, maybe not every person in here, okay? But the more, majority of us can. And do you think God gave you your wealth, whatever wealth you have, for you to stack it up so you can be comfortable after you retire? Do you think God gave you your wealth so you can live luxuriously and ignore people who are suffering? This is what Christians do. Now, I realize this, this is convicting stuff. I realize this is a heavy message. And I know it is. And I find myself convicted as well in saying, Lord, I want to be the one you want me to be. So how'd you do on the evaluation? How are you when it comes to keeping the words of Jesus? to no longer practicing sin, to bearing good fruit, to live a life of compassion. <clears throat> and if somehow you find yourself lacking, I'm not saying you're not a Christian, right? Because I'm not judging you. But you want to be honest with yourself because the last thing that you want to do is put on an act and be like, I was in church, Jesus, all the time. And him to stay away from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. So you want to evaluate yourself and make things right. Get serious with God. Don't hear a message like this and then walk out the door. Sometimes that front door has a giant eraser on it and erases the whole message. It's like, <laughs> you get in your car and you're like, look at this person. <laughs> what are you in my way for? Oh, that's love, joy, peace, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, a um, couple of quick things couple of quick things. I'm done. Stand with me and let's pray together. No, wait a minute. Hold on. No, you stand with me. Our service starts now at 11 at the other campus. I'm already late. They're going to wonder what happened to me. So I'm going to pray uh, and we're going to close things out. I'm going to hand things back over to the group. Father, thank you for the time that we're able to spend here. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be doing a work within us, that we would take these truths and apply them to our lives. Thank you for what you're doing. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.